All right, we are back in the book of Matthew. Yay! Excited? We have been gone from Matthew for a really long time. Uh, how many of you are tired? As I look out, I just see everyone is being really tired. And I understand that because there are so many things. Kim and Kevin, of course, I'm sure you guys are exhausted. Thanks for coming out to church. How spiritual are you to be out here? And so um, I think it would be really good if we could actually use this as an icebreaker, the question that we have. And so if we could pose the question up here. And let me read it. I, I even forgot what the question was. Okay. Okay, I remember now. What was your favorite reality TV show? Okay, let's warm each other up. You know, let's, let's get each other going. I'm sure we're tired and waking, waking each other up with this, uh, with this question. It's not, you know, it's not a, a huge question. It's a trivial one. But what was your favorite reality TV show and why? And I know some of you, you hate reality TV shows. So why do you hate reality TV shows? Maybe share that as well. But if we could break up into groups of three and four, that would be great. And kind of share this. And I'll give you about three minutes, okay? All right, if I could have your attention back here, please. Please feel free to share even more later on after the service about your favorite reality TV show. You guys are so excited. I'm so, so surprised that you guys are excited about sharing that. Um, we're in Matthew chapter 25. We'll be looking at that. I have to admit that I am not a big fan of Donald Trump, the president, okay? Now, I'm not going to dive into some editorial on politics or policies. You're not going to want to hear that. But suffice it to say that I'm not in agreement. And so I'm not a big fan of Donald Trump, the president. But I am a big fan of Donald Trump, the reality TV star, okay? <laughs> I don't know if you knew, but there was a reality show that I was addicted to in 2005. And it starred Donald Trump. And I used to watch every week. I used to turn on my TV at that particular time to tune in to Donald Trump every week. And it was called The Apprentice. How many of you have seen the show, The Apprentice? Okay, not many of you, okay? This was 2005, okay? And I don't know if you, you know, if, if you remember the show, those of you that raised your hand, but I thought that this show was the best TV show in TV show history, reality TV, as it were. Because I don't get into The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. I think that's kind of hokey, you know? And I don't get into, you know, these paradise weird ones, you know, that, that are out there. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you love it and everything, but it's just not for me. But this show, The Apprentice, was for me, okay? And it was all about Donald Trump, okay? The billionaire business tycoon, the real estate mogul, the ridiculously successful entrepreneur. And so on this show, he would pick an apprentice on television to be an associate hire for the Trump organization. And to me, it was so intriguing, okay? They chose 12 or 12, 10 men and 10 women. These were highly gifted people. And so these hopefuls every week would perform tasks so that they could be the apprentice. And every week, they had to produce results. And so at the end of every show, someone would get fired. Donald Trump would give that iconic phrase, you're fired, okay? I can't do a good Donald Trump, but that's what he would say, you're fired, okay? And I would live to watch that show. There was one episode, uh, it was the Dick's Sporting Goods episode, I, I clearly remember this, okay? Where they had two Dick's locations in New York, one team went to one location, the other team went to another different location, and they had to compete for sales, and so this was called the Interactive Sales Day at Dick's Sporting Goods. Whoever could boost the most sales won. 
And so team number one, they had a golf day. That's what they, they decided to do. So they set up, uh, you know, uh, a, a range. They set up a mini golf uh, in the store, okay? And team number two decided to have a baseball day. So they set up actual batting cages in the store. Now, these were big sporting good, uh, Dick's sporting good locations. And so they decided to do this. So at the end of the interactive sales day, what happened was team number one did really well. They increased. They had a 74% increase. Just a great time, right? Where they, they boosted sales from the normal to 74. But then team number two, who had the baseball day, actually had a 42% decrease. Now imagine that, right? So normal sales, like normal, and then they had this big push, and instead of even going up a little, they went down 42%, right? Huge disparity. No one had done so poorly in the history of The Apprentice before. And so here, my wife and I, were, we're watching, we're staying tuned, and in the boardroom, Donald gets the whole team together, the one that lost, and he brings them in. So we're like wondering, what's going to happen? What's going to happen, right? He sends some of, some of them up to the suite. When, when, when he sends people up to the suite, that means they're safe for another week, right? They get to keep playing. But then he brings four people into the boardroom for one of them to get fired. Now, this was interesting because usually what Donald does is he gets the team leader to bring two people into the boardroom, and one of the two gets fired by Donald Trump, right? That's what usually happens. But in this one, he brings four people into the boardroom. I know you're not excited about this, but I'm going to share it like because I was excited. Well, four people into the boardroom, right? And so in this episode, he brings them in, and he goes, frankly, that was unbelievably bad, right? Tremendously terrible, horrible, terrible Donald Trump. It really was, right? And he says, it's no way to keep you all, so all of you, you're fired. And he fires all four of them on the spot, okay? In 2005, my wife and I are watching, and we are shocked. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. Four people, that's four episodes worth, right, that they decided to get rid of in the firing. And it was at that point in time when he goes, you're fired, all four of you, that I just thought to myself, what an amazing show. What an amazing <laughs> show, right? Not, not because people got fired. You know, I'm, I'm sad because of that. But I just fell in love with Donald Trump at that particular time. I love, he's a boss. He's a gangster, right? Donald Trump means business. He is all about business. And you know what's interesting? If you've ever watched the show The Apprentice, it's not about education. You could have gone to Harvard or the Wharton Business School, and some of them uh, do, and he will still fire you. It's not about intellectual superiority. You could be the smartest guy in that boardroom, and Donald Trump will fire you right? It's not about charisma. It's not about particular skills that makes you shine, because in the end, he will fire you, right? It's not about any of those things. You know what The Apprentice is about? It's about one thing and one thing only, productivity. That's all it's about. Are you producing? Are you making a profit? Well, this morning, we want to look at a story that Jesus gives to his disciples on this very area of productivity. And here, he shares a familiar parable about three apprentices and the spiritual truths that come from what they do. So let's look. In chapter 25, let's begin reading in verse 14. Let's jump into it. It says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Now, right away, you're thinking, what does this again mean? 
Again, it will be like, you know, I feel like I'm in the middle of something. Jesus is kind of talking to his disciples. I'm in the middle of the conversation. And it's right to feel that way because we have been away from Matthew for a very long time, and we're jumping back in. So let me give you some context for this. In the previous chapter, chapter 24, the disciples asked Jesus, in 24 verse 3, when will your coming be, and when will be the end of the world? Now, Jesus answers the disciples in verse 36 by saying, no one knows the day or the hour, only God the Father knows. And I remember Wilson actually preaching on this many moons ago, okay? Now, Jesus then advises his disciples in verse 44 of chapter 24. He says, so you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour that you do not expect. And so what Jesus is saying is you need to be ready for his coming. Now, how should you be ready? And here Jesus gives a series of parables to his disciples on being ready for his coming. And the first parable or story was the parable of the ten virgins. Now, you remember Mark Kwong, right? Mark gave a message on chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, a long time ago when he was still here, okay? And here he shares this parable of the ten virgins, that Jesus illustrates this readiness by watching and waiting. And the point was, keep watch, be ready, wait, because you don't know when I'm going to come back. Now, the second parable is the parable of the eight talents. That's what we're going to study today. And it's about where Jesus illustrates readiness, not by watching and waiting, but by working and producing. And the point here is keep working, produce, make a profit, because you don't know when I'll be back. Okay? Do you get that? That's the context. Let's look in verse 14. Again, So Jesus is saying, I'm giving you another parable about my coming, about the end of the world, about my kingdom. And it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Now we're going to look at uh, three things. No, actually two things. I had three things, but I don't have time to share them. So two things in this story that will help us to be spiritually productive, ready for Jesus and his coming. And so if you're taking notes, this is an easy note-taking day today. Uh, The first point is talents. Isn't that easy? Talents. We're going to look at talents. Let's look in verse 15. He entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. So Jesus tells about this man who was wealthy, and we're going to see how wealthy he was later on. But this wealthy man who goes to a faraway, distant land. But before he embarks on this long, long journey, he assembles three of his servants together to manage his resources. And here he entrusts talents to these servants. To servant number one, he gives five talents. To servant number two, he gives two talents. To servant number three, he gives one talent. Now, you might say, well, what is a talent? What is a talent? In ancient times, a talent was a particular weight measurement used as a unit of exchange. It had monetary significance. So the talent was not a coin. The talent was in reference to the weight of a coin. The value of each talent was determined by what precious metal the coin was. So if it was gold, talent, or if it was silver, talent. 
Okay. Now this is important, um, and I'll give you an example. When when a country paid tribute to Rome in the first century, it was always measured by talents because talents are the highest denomination. It was a very significant amount of money. And so you're thinking your eyes are glazing over right now. I know, and you're thinking, oh, what what is this? You know. Well, let me explain to you in terms that you would understand. Okay. So the first century, and I don't even know if we have it up. I hope we have it up. Okay. In the first century, a talent of silver was equivalent to $400,000 in the 21st century, okay? So let, let me put it to you this way. Servant number one got $2 million. Servant number two got $800,000. And servant number three got $400,000. This was a very wealthy, this was a Donald Trump of his time, okay? Now, if it were gold, this was in silver. If it were gold, it would have been even much more, Okay, but I'm using silver because that was the common exchange for, for, for that. Okay, so think about this. This was a significant amount of money. I don't want you to misunderstand. When I was young and I, uh, and I heard the parable of the talents, you know, I had one idea, but this changed my idea. This was a significant amount of money. It's not like he's pulling out uh, money from his wallet and giving his servants here. Here's 50 bucks. Here's 20 bucks. Here's 10 bucks. Here, do something with this. That's not what he's doing. This man carefully and deliberately entrusts vast sums for these servants to manage. Now think about this, okay? Because the misunderstanding that we could have is, you know, because, you know, one servant's getting five talents, the other getting two talents, then the guy with the one talent, that's sad. That's pathetic, you know? And we feel sorry for the guy with the one talent. But when we realize how much money one talent is, all of those talents are significant. And so Jesus is conveying in this story how valuable, how precious these talents are, even one talent. And so these talents are given to these servants so that they can do something with them. Now you might ask, what is or what does a talent symbolize today? Now this is a parable, of course, parables are all about symbolism. So what does this stand for? What does this talent stand for? Well, fortunately for us, the English word talent historically comes from the parable of Matthew chapter 25. So when we look at the English dictionary uh, definition for talent, it draws from Matthew 25. That's in our culture, right? Western culture. And it means natural ability or natural gifting or natural skills. So we might say, well, job done. I know what a talent means, right? But when we look in this parable, the word talent symbolizes so much more than the dictionary definition. It's more than just being able to play guitar or sing really well. It's really more than an ability to organize or an ability to administrate or an ability to speak and debate. It's more than uh, how well you play basketball or uh, you know, how smart you are you know, in math and, and in sciences. That's part of it, but it's not all of it. Now, how do I know this? Because look in verse 15, look at it. It says, to one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, look at this, each according to his ability, right? It would be redundant if the definition, the English definition, were exactly what this was talking about because these talents are given based upon abilities. More or less, talents are imparted according to the servant's abilities. So listen carefully. This is the definition of a talent in Scripture. A talent does mean natural abilities, but that's only a part of it. A talent also includes the opportunities that come 
from those natural abilities, right? A talent also includes the privileges that come from those opportunities. When we're talking about a talent in the Bible, we're talking about abilities, opportunities, and privileges. Well, you might say, well, that's still kind of up in the air. I, I don't understand it completely. Let me illustrate it this way. You know, my wife, Joanne, is graduating with her doctorate in education in May, okay? She's not here right now, so we can talk about her. Anytime, family member, <laughs> I can talk about my wife. Uh, she's actually uh, with uh, her, uh, the people that are um, helping her with her dissertation. Uh, they're meeting in Long Beach at this very moment. And so I'm really excited. Our family is completely excited about her getting her doctorate. Now, I'm going to talk about her a little bit. You know, my wife, we've been married 25 years. She, and, and I know her better than anyone else, she has tremendous ability. She is a visionary, okay? But not only is she a visionary, she's also an administrative mind. She's an amazing administrator. And that's something that, wow, I look at and I, I wish I had, right? Because she has a big picture type of uh, 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 visionary kind of uh, um, uh, mindset. And then she knows the steps to get to that, right? So that's pretty amazing. And with her uh, skill set, she also has this logical mind. She has a steel bear trap type of mind. I mean, she, she's sharp, okay? Not only that, she has a great memory. She remembers dates and events. And, you know, I can't remember anything, but she can remember all these things, right? And also, this is something that's amazing about her. She thinks on her feet. She's able to really think on her feet. Now, I married her. I had no idea that she had this gift set, but I'm always amazed. I marvel at this. I remember there are times that uh, we almost got cheated, you know, from certain salesmen or something that was promised to us. And I remember I would go with Joanne to wherever it was, and she would talk to that person, and she would rattle them. Because she had this logical mind with this great memory, she could think on her feet. And I've seen people just rattled, right? These people, they will give what, us whatever we want because my wife, she doesn't yell or scream, you know, when she gets into confrontation. She just has this cold, calculating mind, right? And she's able to speak calmly. While they're, they're getting rattled, she speaks calmly. She always gets what she, and I'm like, wow, I love you. You're amazing, you know? And so I hate fighting with my wife. Because she always wins. Always, okay? She always wins. I feel like Joe Biden, right, on the campaign trail, like when we argue because I can't remember anything and I'm always just <laughs> spouting things and I'm like, oh, I'll pray for you. You know, you're so mean. That's all I can say, right? She's just amazing. Okay, so listen to this. Why am I telling you all this, okay? I'm telling you this because I remember when she started out as an ESL part-time teacher. You know, she was, um, we were, uh, we were in ministry. Uh, she was planning on, on going and, 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 you know, into Rosemead, uh, you know, and everything. And God changed things around. And so, you know, we were doing ministry, and we needed money. So, you know, Joanne's like, okay, well, I'll just I'll go into ESL, you know, part-time teaching. And she went into it, and because of the skills I just mentioned, her supervisor took notice of her and promoted her almost really quickly to vocational advisor, and it became a full-time job. We were so excited. Oh, wow, another full-time job, money that we could get for our family. And it was there that she started programs, right? Because that's her mind. She starts thinking big. She started you know, creating programs. Her boss saw the programs that she was doing and really, really took notice of her and promoted her very quickly to facilitator of school to career. And so she got this uh, promotion, and then she started having vision for the district. And so I remember uh, she gave this 
presentation, uh, you know, uh, to the board members. And I remember her sharing uh, in, in this, and the district was so moved. And I, I won't go into detail, but, but some of them were so moved, and they noticed her, so they promoted her, okay? So then she became administrator of college and career success, right? And it was there that she started writing grants. Joanne's like, I never wrote a grant before, but I'm going to start writing grants, right? And she started getting those grants, multi-million dollar grants, okay? And it got so, like, big that her, her uh, people, you know, her supervisors and people uh, ahead of her got so excited about her and said, wow, that they made her a director of College and Career Pathways. And it was there that she was instrumental in helping the district. They won a golden bell. They never won a golden bell before, but it was because of her, okay? And she, they won that, and then she started writing more grants, and she started getting really good at grants. And so they asked her to write more and more, and so she created all these things. She developed this expo. I won't go into it too much. So long story short, right, uh, these people that she was working with at Long Beach, right, that was head of the the doctorate program said, hey, do you want to maybe go to our school and get a doctorate? We'd love to invite you, okay, to be a part of that. And I remember, you know, that we were never even thinking about that before because we were so busy. But we started praying about it, and the Lord laid that on our, uh, on our hearts. And so that's why she's in the doctorate program. Isn't that awesome? And then she's graduating in May, right? Have I finished bragging enough about her? Yeah? You don't have to, you don't have to clap. It's all right. Well, you can clap because it's my wife. All right. But why am I telling you this? Because this is an illustration of what I'm talking about. Talent is abilities. But those abilities lead to opportunities. And those opportunities lead to privileges. And this is every one of us here to varying degrees. Your natural abilities will lead to opportunities and lead to privileges that are very specific to you. That are very unique to who you are. These opportunities will grant you privileges that will come to you. You see, my abilities do not produce the same opportunities and privileges that you, you do. I will never head the GI oncology department at the UCI Medical Center like Ken Chang. I'll never have that, right? And some of you, you're, you're glad for that, right? right? I'll never be asked to join an amazing rockin' band. I'll never, I, I want to, but I'll never be asked like Greg Wan, right? Is he here even? He's not even here. Okay. I'll never be invited to Europe to paint, spray paint wall murals like Tom Dwyer. I'll never be asked to do that, right? And they're amazing, by the way. I'll never organize and participate on a dance team like Kelsey Jensen, right? I'll never be asked to, because I can't dance, right? I'll never be accepted to the University of Maryland uh, on a doctor of philosophy, uh, to be a doctor of philosophy like Ben Fan. Your talents will lead to you to things that are very unique to who you are. And so here the question that the parable is raising is, what are you doing with the talents, your abilities, your opportunities, your privileges? What are you doing with the abilities that Jesus has given you? What are you doing with the opportunities that come from the abilities that Jesus has given you? What are you doing with the privileges that come from the opportunities that stem from the abilities that Jesus has given you? You see, the parable is all about productivity. What are you doing with those talents, those very precious, very significant, very valuable talents that you have right now? The second thing we want to look at is servants. Servants. 
Jesus is teaching this parable to his disciples. There's no other people in the audience. It's just his disciples. And he wants them to understand some truths. So the parable of the talents is for his disciples. And really, it's for us. We are his disciples. If we've named the name of Christ, if we are Christians, all of us are disciples of Jesus Christ. We are the servants in the story. Jesus is that wealthy Lord, that landowner. And there are truths that we must understand as we look at the story. The number one truth is, if we could put it up, understand that what we have is not ours. Understand that what we have is not ours. Let's look in verse 16. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his Lord's money. So it was very common for a wealthy landowner to entrust their wealth to trained, capable, professional servants who could manage their wealth. They were called stewards. So the servants in this story are really specifically stewards. Now, I say that because I don't want you to misunderstand that the Lord was calling some servants. Like, oh, hey, you out in the field, come in here. You in my kitchen, come in here. You doing, you know, my housework, come in here. Three servants from different places going, okay, I'm going to give you $3 million. Do something with it. That's not what he's saying, okay? Some of you, that's maybe what you're thinking. Uh, these are, no, but these are stewards. These are people that were entrusted with this, this massive wealth who knew exactly what they were doing. You know how I know that is? Verse 16, look at it. The first one went at once and immediately put his money to work. You see, they know what they're doing. They've been trained for this, right? They're capable at this. They know how to do this. And so they do it quickly, or this one does it quickly. So everyone in the first century culture or context would have understood this parable, that stewards were entrusted with their Lord's money and they were expected to manage it and to make a profit for him while he was away. That's what they were called to do. That's what they're capable of doing. So in the mind of these stewards, they knew that this money was not theirs. It was the Lord's. It is the Lord's talent. Okay? And I want you to see this. We've got to understand that our talents aren't ours. They are God-given talents. And we just like in the story, are stewards of the talents that he has entrusted us with while we are here on this earth. That's what Jesus is communicating in this story. One of my life verses is Deuteronomy chapter 8, and it says this, you may say to yourself, this is God speaking, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant. And what De um, Deuteronomy chapter 8 is saying, don't you ever, 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 ever forget the Lord. Because you think it's your abilities. They're not. They're given to you by God. He gives you the ability and the ability to have the opportunities. The ability to have those, enjoy those privileges. It's all about the Lord. And we don't have a right to bury talents. We don't have a right to consume talents for ourselves. We don't have a right to squander talents. That God entrusts us to be stewards by which those talents are multiplied for his kingdom. Can I get an amen? amen? The second point is, we need to understand that we must invest all for his kingdom. 
Not only are all the talents the Lord's, we must invest all of it. We must push it all on the table and be all in for the kingdom. Let's look in verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settles accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought five, brought another five. Lord, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. And drop down to verse 22, and it should be up here. The man with the two talents also came. Lord, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. Now, notice the disciples ask Jesus when he's coming, when the end of the world will take place. And he tells them no one knows, but in this parable, he hints to the disciples, it's going to be a long time, right? Hindsight 2020, it's been 2,000 years. It's going to be a long time, okay? So these stewards are watching, waiting, working, and producing for a long time. The prophets that they received didn't happen overnight. These men diligently worked faithfully sacrificed, and consistently invested for a long, 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 long time in order to double the wealth. Can I get an amen? Do you know where I'm going here? Yeah? The fruit of wealth was a testimony to their hard work. And that's what it is. Jesus doesn't tell us when he's coming back. It may be now. It may be for a long time. We don't know. But our calling is to faithfully produce to faithfully work, to faithfully sacrifice in what he's called us to. Jesus is conveying to us this truth, that we don't know when he's coming back. It may be a long time, but we must diligently, consistently, faithfully work what he's given to us. All of our talents have to be pushed toward the gospel harvest that is at hand. You see, when Jesus comes back, he's going to, and we've seen the parable before, he's going to take in the harvest. And we are workers in the harvest, and we are to go all out for that. What does that mean? That's going to mean we're going to have difficult seasons. We'll have trials and persecution as we do this. The Christian life isn't easy, and it's not safe. It never has been, and the Bible has never promised that. There is sacrifice and risk necessary to make an eternal profit for the kingdom. So I can't promise you safety and ease, but what I can promise you is that what you produce will be of eternal profit. And that's the beauty of it. What you produce for the kingdom won't burn up and disintegrate in the end. Remember the parable where Jesus says that he's going to take the wood, hay, and stubble, the gold, silver, precious metals, and he's going to try it by fire, and one of them is going to last and one of them is going to get burned up. I promise you that what you do for the kingdom is not going to burn up. It's of eternal profit. Can I get an amen? All right. So let's look in verse 24. The man who had received the one talent came. Lord, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now, this is interesting because the steward sounds crazy, doesn't he? Who buries money in their backyard? Nobody does that. But in ancient times, it was a very common practice. There were no safes or safety deposit boxes or places in the world at the time. So the wealthy hid their wealth in caves, in abandoned places, and really in the ground. So the ground was used as a safe or safety deposit box. 
Let me say it this way. The safe thing to do was to use the ground as a safe. That's exactly what he was doing. Now, I want you to notice this steward did not, like the other two, use their talents to make a profit. Instead, he goes a different route. He plays it safe by burying the talent. Now, he doesn't steal it. He doesn't squander it. He doesn't consume it. He wants to keep his Lord's money safe. Now, you might ask, well, why? Why would he do something like that? Because of verse 25. Look at it. He says, I was afraid. What was he afraid of? If we look at the story, he was afraid of loss. He was afraid of failure. What if I invest all this money and lose it? What if I come to my Lord losing all of that money? And fear paralyzed him from doing his job to produce. There's risk involved in investing, so I'll just bury this talent and I'll play it safe. Now, you might look and say, man, what a crazy steward he was. But you know, my temptation as a steward is to do the same thing. It's to play it safe. Because I'm afraid to share the gospel with a person because I don't want to be rejected. I'm afraid to commit my life to something that he wants from me because I don't want him to send me to outer Mongolia and have a terrible life. I don't want that. I'm afraid to surrender my time to Royal Family Kids Camp or to some of the things we're doing at church or to some other thing that God calls me to because I'll, I'll be afraid to be too busy to watch Netflix or to be too busy to do what I want to do. I'm afraid to surrender my finances because I'm afraid I might be poor. I'm afraid to build community with people because it may be inconvenient, right? And I'm afraid of what that, uh, what that would entail. And so what we do is we play it safe. But let me say this. When we play things safe, we waste our lives. We never get a chance to see the miracles that God has in store for us. We never are able to see the fruit that he wants us to produce. And we never are productive for a profit. You know, <clears throat> one of my favorite five-talent um, five uh, communicators is a guy by the name of Francis Chan. He really is one of my favorites. And he says, or he illustrates this in a way that I cannot, okay? And so I just want you to watch this clip. Would you watch it? And um, this illustrates my point perfectly. Off the team, whatever, you know, just, there's so much instability, so much that we don't understand, that, that we don't know. For me, growing up, it was, uh, a lot of you guys know, my mom died giving birth to me. And my dad remarried, then my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine. Then my dad got married again. Then my dad died of cancer when I was 12. And so I'm in junior high, my mom's dead, my stepmom's dead, my dad's dead. The only close relatives I had were my, my aunt and uncle, George and Sandra. And then when I was in high school, they got in a fight, and my uncle George shot and killed my aunt, and then stuck the gun to his own head, killed himself. So I'm 16 years old, and this is life to me, going, man, what's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried. We get a little scared. And this is what Christians do. You know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky, and things get a little unstable. And so we go, okay, that was nuts. I don't, I don't want to live like that. Let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine. This is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here, and uh, I'm just going to hold on, and uh, this is what you look like. 
You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what, I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to, um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm not going to let them outside because sun has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in the safety of, I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just... I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2% um, and uh, maybe serve, help the nursery because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life and then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it and then just go up to heaven. And so you want to die like this, just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven and you don't even feel it and then suddenly you wake up you stand before the judge and you go <laughs> now if uh, could you imagine could you imagine watching the Olympics you know and some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes... <laughs> what is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. I, that's the routine that they're going to live and then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, wow, well done. Well done. You lived the safest life possible. You didn't slip. You didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. Isn't that awesome? That's, a, that's the illustration of this servant, right? And what, does, what is the Lord's response to that in verse 26? His Lord replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Wicked, lazy. Man, why would you say that, Lord? Why is he wicked? He didn't embezzle the talents. He didn't consume the talents on himself. He didn't squander the talents. He kept it safe for you. Why would he be this way? Because he was a steward. And that's the point of this parable. Because he was a steward. His job was to invest, but he buried the potential. His job was to work, but he lived for himself. His job was to risk but he played it safe. And I want to tell you that God gives us this to his disciples to really make us look hard in our lives and to ask us, each one of us in our hearts, hey, are we living to be ready for the kingdom? Because the Lord expects productivity. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You know, I wanted to... Um, I wanted my last point to be the Lord. I'm kind of, that's my personality, so I have to have all three, but I, I can't do that today. We would go way long. But let me just say this, and maybe this could be a part of the prayer. In the quietness of your own hearts, 
The Lord is the focus of this. And him and his return is really the focus of this parable. And when the Lord comes back, will he be able to say to you, well done, good and faithful steward. You've been faithful in a few things here on this earth. I will make you ruler over many things in heaven. Come and share in your master's joy. That's the legacy that we want to have. If we boil everything down, that's our legacy. If the Lord says to us, well done. Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts afresh and anew. Lord, in light of the changes and the transitions that are happening in our church, in light of all the things that are necessary in building your kingdom here on this earth, Lord, we pray that you would give us a desire to be stewards, true stewards that will profit and produce for your kingdom the talents that you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.